I would like to introduce you, John Sullivan. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Bruce, and uh, to Jonathan for organizing the event and for having me. Um, a little bit hoarse, so I'm going to use the microphone here. Um, the title of this is, is Why Should I Care About That? And I, I realized while I was sitting there, uh, I'm not talking about Northeast GNU Linux Fest 2012. I, I, we should care about it. It's fun. Uh, I'm talking about free software, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, yeah. So I've been the executive director of the Free Software Foundation uh, just since this past March, so about one year. Um, but I've been with the FSF since 2003, doing uh, various roles there, including organizing our campaigns uh, and uh, working in the shipping department as well. Um, the last time I gave a presentation on St. Patrick's Day that I can remember was when I was in my school play in elementary school on St. Patrick's Day. I'm hoping that my performance today will be a little bit better than that one. Uh, and I think I played the head of the snakes then. Um, and I'm hoping, you know, I'm sure this St. Patrick's Day story is some, has some horrible xenophobic undertones that I'm, I wasn't familiar with then, but I hope that I'm on the side of the good guys and, and not the snakes this time. And it's too bad we're not presenting a, a building over in the Sullivan Academic Center. It would have been much better for me. So I want to talk about um, the problem of free software and the, the title of why should I care about that refers to what, what can we do in order to get people who don't actually work with computers or do programming to care about free software? You know, why, what can we do to get people to care that every device that they use that runs software runs free software, even if they have no intentions themselves of modifying that software? Um, in order to understand that problem, it's important that we're clear about the ultimate goal that we're trying to achieve. And that goal for the Free Software Foundation is that we want all computer users to be able to do whatever they need to do with a computer using only free software. So anything that somebody might want to do with their computer should always be accomplishable using free software, right down to the, the level of driving the hardware all the way up to the applications that they need. I published an article about this in our, our bulletin last fall. Um, we don't have copies of that one, unfortunately, uh, but the article is online or will be online at fcf.org slash bulletin. Uh, and we have some of the older issues out at our booth here if you want to check out past articles. So I'm going to focus in, in this talk on mobile devices because when we're talking about using free software, one of the obstacles historically for people who aren't programmers has been that they just don't use computers that much. Um, obviously, since the Free Software Foundation started in 1985, that problem has changed somewhat because lots of people use computers all the time. And now when you add mobile devices to the mix, people are using computers really all of the time, even if they don't call it a computer. So mobile devices are a great opportunity for us to communicate the importance of free software to people because they are already using the technology. So now it's the next step of um, helping them understand why that technology, why that software should be free, why they should be in control of the device instead of the device being in control of them. I also want to talk about it because of timeliness just for this weekend. Um, the new iPad came out. You know, I, I was not in line. Um, and also the This American Life episode that was discussing Apple's manufacturing practices for the iDevices is being retracted due to some factual errors. So there's a lot of discussion in the media again about the manufacturing processes in these devices for the hardware. And to me, that discussion is a good opportunity for free software advocates to chime in. Uh, obviously, we're not going to put free software concerns on par with people jumping off of factories and committing suicide. Um, but as soon as we start talking about the way devices are manufactured, that's an opportunity to also talk about the way the software is manufactured and the ethical concerns that go into that while we're talking about the other ethical concerns about the production of the device. Uh, so I, I'm optimistic about this. I, I think that people do, in many different contexts, actually care about freedoms that they don't themselves make use of on a daily basis. Um, I'm, people might not be a, a programmer, but I think people who aren't programmers we can still convince to use free software or to advocate for free software. And I look at other examples like freedom of the press, which is the example that I talked most about in the bulletin article. And I'm not a journalist. I don't write for a news publication. Um, most people don't, and yet they believe in the value of freedom of the press because they know that they can't have news that is uh, serving that is that serves the foundation for a democratic society if that news is not published under free press conditions. And I think in the same way, we can communicate to people about how in order for the software 
to work the way that they want it to in order for them to actually be in control of their devices, that software has to be made under conditions of freedom, even if they aren't the ones making it or using that freedom. Uh, and you know, there are freedoms that they do use, and those are easy ones to communicate. So it's easy to explain to people why uh, copying and sharing is a good thing, uh, as long as we can cut through the RIAA, MPAA, et cetera, propaganda about how sharing a copy of something useful uh, with your neighbor is theft. Um, everybody in an ideal world can understand the value of copying and sharing. Um, studying is a pretty easy one too. You know, uh, if you stop studying the, the idea that people should have the freedom, if they wanted to learn about computers, they should be able to look at how the software works. Um, those are relatively easy to communicate. Modifying the freedom to modify the software is a little bit harder because if a person isn't going to modify the software running on their computer, then they might be fine with the idea that they're not allowed to do that. So that's really the tough one that we have to break down, and I think that mobile devices provide a, a good opportunity for doing that. First of all, because so many people are carrying the computers, like I mentioned at the beginning, um, I know companies would love to have us believe that these devices are only toasters or appliances, that they're not actual computers, but uh, like Mad Dog was talking about the history of things this morning and how you know, 64K of RAM cost $28,000 at one point in time, the computer that I'm carrying around in my pocket now is, is much more powerful than the computer that got me through college. Um, and uh, well, it's more powerful than the one that got me through grad school too, but that was a typewriter, so that's easy. Um, but these things are computers. They're general purpose computers that a user could, in theory, install software on. The only reason that they are appliances is because the companies that make them uh, lock them up and make them that way. So. The reason why, one of the reasons why we want the freedom to modify the software we use is because it helps us make sure that other people aren't using the software to control us. And mobile devices are a very, one of the clearest examples we've had of this in, in years. Um, you want to be able to modify your device to remove malware or um, what one of our uh, directors calls anti-features. These are things that your device does that you wish it didn't. And on mobile devices, we can come up with lots of examples. I'm being handcuffed to a particular carrier, so you can't take your T-Mobile phone and, and switch to AT&T. Uh, or having a backdoor provided so that a company can come in um, literally while you're sleeping and delete ebooks off of your device over the network. Uh, crippling functions of the hardware so that even though your device has a Wi-Fi chip inside of it, you're not allowed to use it as an access point for other people. Um, turning your mobile device into a surveillance device. And you know, there's no tinfoil on my head here. Uh, you can read the court cases where this is being done. Uh, the, they can turn on the cell phone microphone uh, and listen into your conversations, obviously, if it's nearby. They can activate the phone remotely um, in some cases. They can check the GPS in some cases. So these are all examples of things that if you start talking to people about, they, they're not very happy about. You know, they want the phone so they can talk to their kids uh, so they can check their email for work, that sort of thing. They, they don't want to be carrying around a tracking device. If they paid for a Wi-Fi chipset when they bought the phone, they want to be able to use it. Uh, so these are, are pretty clear examples of things. Um, people certainly don't want their materials deleted off of their devices while they're sleeping. So these are all good examples. And even though somebody isn't going to modify their own software to remove those, those anti-features themselves, because they would have to learn how to program in order to do it, um, we can communicate with them about how if the software is free, first of all, those things won't happen uh, because that's not in anybody's interests to do so. It's not a company in control of the software who has the ability to force others to accept their direction. Uh, community developed and free software goes in different directions because of the people and the interests behind it. Um, and also just the fact that if they found something about their, their software that they didn't like, they could pay somebody else to do it um, to make the change for them. And accessibility uh, as a theme of the conference overall, I think it comes into play here as well. Um, all the usual reasons why free software is important for accessibility apply on mobile devices just as much as on any other computer. And uh, we'll get to an example later about a particularly egregious case of proprietary software being used to damage accessibility in the area of mobile devices. So I want to run through um, some of the specific problems and, and cast of characters that we have currently. We have uh, Apple's iOS. Uh, Apple's operating system for mobile devices does not permit free software, period. You cannot install free software on an iPad or an iPhone uh, without jailbreaking the device, which we'll get to in a minute also. This is for a few different reasons. Um, 
the only allowable distribution point for software to run an iOS device is the Apple Application Store. The Apple Application Store, in order to submit software to it or to download software from it, comes with a set of terms of service, which you have to agree to. As a developer, if you distribute your software through the App Store, you agree that that is the only place you will distribute it, which means you cannot distribute the source code from your own website, for example, since you would be distributing your code from a place outside of the App Store. So obviously you can't have free software if you can't have the source code. Uh, there are also other restrictions that are incompatible with free software in the term, such as you are not allowed to, it says that uh, you can only run the program on whatever their limit of the hour is, four or five different devices in your home. Um, obviously that's incompatible with GPL, which says that you can run the, as many copies on as many devices as you want. So that restriction in the terms prevents you from using the software freely and effectively means that no free software is permitted in the App Store. This is not to say that you will not find software which is free in the App Store. Um, people upload it, Apple allows it, because Apple loves to take advantage of free software when they can, but when someone points out to them that it's not being distributed in compliance with a free software license and is not actually respecting user freedoms, Apple will just remove the software, you know, exercising the authority that they have as the sole approvers of the software that goes into the App Store. And that's the second important point is not just no free software, but no, no unapproved software at all is allowed in the App Store. And this is important. Obviously, we're only caring about free software at the FSF, but when you have applications whose sole purpose is to present political cartoons uh, and other forms of media, I just wanted to highlight that Apple is also using their control over the software um, in order to quash political expression and anything that they don't agree with as a company, they won't allow into the App Store. DRM, Digital Restrictions Management, is used on all applications, ebooks, and uh, lots of other media that's found in the App Store. That's incompatible in and of itself with free software. Apple justifies this control by twisting the kind of quality control uh, phrase and desire that people have. They say that if they open up the App Store and allow free software to come into it or allow the iPhones and iPads to run third-party software, that, that will hurt the quality of the user experience and the device will break and the network will crash and you know, all of this stuff. So whether you believe that or not is irrelevant to the question of whether Apple should therefore be able to legally prevent you from installing software on your own device. Um, you can have a model where people opt in to an exclusive arrangement. You can check a box in the user settings on a phone which says, I only want approved software. That solves all the problems that they're highlighting. People could voluntarily opt into the App Store. The problem comes in when Apple uses the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, the DMCA, to say that anybody who tries to install third-party software on the device is a criminal. That's where the problem comes in. They can have the voluntary quality control, that's fine, but to take the next step and say that you don't have the right to modify your own device is what's incompatible with free software ideals. Now, we said when the, when the iPhone first came out that Apple we suspected Apple was going to have this plan in mind for the laptop and the desktop as well. And you know, people were like, you know what, no, they're not gonna do that, there's no way. Well, now they're doing it. So they are now making uh, the laptop and desktop operating system only available through the App Store. That's the only place you can buy it now. And uh, there are grumblings now as well that the, that version of the operating system will, by default, only allow App Store or official software to be installed. Now, in that case, they are still currently allowing the user to uncheck that box and allow other software to be installed, um, but it's pretty clear where the trend is going now. We have Amazon. Um, I'm including ebook readers in, in the definition of mobile devices here, but also Amazon has its own tablet. So all of these companies, Amazon, Apple, uh, use free software on their devices, but they mix it up with some proprietary software. And then they don't tell anybody that they're using free software. And then they tell people that, oh, if we use free software, then the, the sky will fall down. So the Kindle does use a lot of free software. You can go to amazon.com and you can find the source code that they are required to publish for the free software that they use on the device, on the Kindle. Uh, but you should be aware that if you see headlines that say Amazon publishes, Amazon released the Kindle source code as free software, that's not correct. Um, Amazon publishes the source code that they are required to publish for the free software, the GPL components that they use, but they have not published the source code for things like the actual ebook reader interface or a lot of the other features that um, are important for people. 
the Kindle is what I was referring to at the beginning, uh, with back, which has backdoors that allow a company to come in and delete your um, eBooks without your permission. They, and I'm not making this up, did this with the book 1984 uh, on lots of people's Kindles. Now, there was some explanation for it that it was an unauthorized version of 1984 that had been inadvertently uploaded to the Amazon marketplace. Um, and then, you know, they came out and they apologized and they said they would never do it again, but they did not change the terms of service. They did not change the software. So what we have at this point is a forum post from Bezos saying, oh, we won't do that again. Don't worry. Okay. Free software is about not having to put your trust in somebody who has an interest in antagonizing you. Free software is about putting you in control so you don't have to trust in empty statements like that. And the Kindle's proprietary software uh, is what enables them to take these kinds of actions. Uh, DRM in the Kindle store is optional for publishers. So if you upload something to the Kindle store, you are able to do so without DRM. That is nice. Um, but I think we can all see that the Kindle is heavily marketed on the basis of the DRM's media rather than the DRM-free media. And Amazon, you know, people love to blame DRM on the publishers, and the publishers do certainly bear a lot of responsibility for DRM. There's the ones who, who want really strict protection of the restrictions on copyright and distribution that they want to have. But companies like Amazon and Apple benefit a great deal from those restrictions because it creates a a stack that people buy into. So if you want the Kindle, if you want somebody's ebook, you have to buy a Kindle because it's only available in the Kindle format. The Kindle format is all about DRM. So Amazon and other companies profit also from use of DRM as a way to lock users in. You can't take your Kindle books elsewhere unless you also use the Kindle application to read them in those other places. Accessibility uh, was an issue with the Kindle as well, um, and it was related to DRM. When the Kindle came out, it had the ability to, uh, maybe it was the second version of the Kindle, but anyway, it had the ability to read the book to you in a computerized voice. This was useful for people who can't read the book by sight. And, uh, but it wasn't great. You heard uh, Ruben's um, demo of Triscoll and the way the computerized voice sounds. It's no oral performance of the work. And yet the Authors Guild in the United States argued that the text-to-speech feature was a public performance of the book. And so would require their copyright permission uh, to have that feature enabled. So Amazon capitulated to the publishers in that instance. So now when, you, when a publisher uploads a work, they can set a bit which says, this book may not be read aloud. And that bit is included in the overall DRM scheme. This is another example of where we need free software. Why does anybody get to tell you that you can't have your computer read a book out loud to you while you're doing the dishes or, you know, or if you need that to be done because you can't read the book because you don't have sight. Um, that's just one example. And you can imagine lots of other accessibility features that we won't get unless we get free software on mobile devices. Windows Mobile. Uh, the main issue I want to highlight here is uh, what Microsoft has been pushing recently under the name Secure Boot. Uh, they started out pushing this for all computers, desktops, laptops, um, and uh, mobile devices. This feature, it's, a, it's something that's designed to make sure that you can't have a really low-level infection on your computer uh, that uh, uh, opens up security holes for other people. It's a nice motivation. You, they want to protect user security. Except that's not really their motivation, um, as will be seen. What they want to do is to make sure that you can't install a operating system that is not Windows on a piece of hardware. So the way the security system works, if it detects an unauthorized uh, operating system, it will not boot. So in other words, you would not be able to install GNU Linux on a computer that had this security feature, security feature uh, installed. And so therefore, we refer to this as restricted boot rather than secure boot, because it's not security when the user is not in control of their own computer. So we launched a statement um, opposing this last year, and it's got a lot of signatures on it, um, got a lot of press attention to the issue. And a lot of other people covered it as well. And Microsoft's sort of backed down, maybe. Um, now what they're saying is that on, a, on an x86 computer, the user must have the ability to install their own um, signing keys so they can load their own operating system. That's good. Um, and they're saying that the user must be able to disable that feature entirely. That's also good. Uh, however, now they are saying that when it is an ARM device, such as your cell phone, your tablet, uh, those things must explicitly not be possible. So they are 
essentially saying that secure boot will always be restricted boot on any kind of mobile device. Also, we don't trust them on the desktops anyway. I mean, the first thing they said when they came out with this announcement was, oh no, we're not gonna say anything about how, uh, how whether or not the secure boot feature can be disabled or enabled. We're just saying that secure boot has to exist in this fashion. Uh, and now, obviously, they've gone back on that because they are requiring that it be implemented in a certain way on certain types of uh, architectures. So this is enforced under the Windows logo certificate, Windows 8 logo certification program. So any piece of hardware that wants to be certified to run Windows 8 uh, is going to have to comply with this requirement. So that's up to Motorola or not if um, they want to manufacture two you know, branches of the device, one which is Windows 8 certified and one is not. Maybe they could do that. I hear Microsoft has uh, gotten a stronghold on a lot of Android devices, and Motorola is the only one that it. Yeah, um, so I'm going to talk about the patents issue uh, briefly now, actually, with Android. Um, so the Android operating system is based on free software, uh, but as it's usually distributed in phones that you buy in the store, it comes with a lot of non-free software as well. Um, you have Google applications like Google Maps, uh, et cetera, that are installed on the phone, which are actually proprietary software. Uh, you have applications which may be installed by the different carriers like Verizon, T-Mobile, like to put their random deal of the week with Universal Studios, Stream, Sports, whatever application on there. Those are usually proprietary. Um, DRM's media, <coughs> Flash, uh, which unfortunately has become kind of a marketing point for Android devices because of the iPhone's commendable lack of support for Flash, um, and binary blobs for hardware drivers are all issues. So while you can go and you can get the Android source code, if you go and buy a phone, it's most likely going to come with a bunch of stuff that isn't technically part of Android, but is still, uh, well, except for the binary uh, blobs and the drivers, but is still proprietary software. Also, there is the problem that Android is largely released under a non-copyleft license, which allows it to be released as proprietary software as well as free software. And we saw this actually being put to use when recently Google did not release the source code for one of the Android versions that they put out. Now, they've since released that source code. Um, it took a while. Uh, but they did, to their credit, go back and release the unreleased versions as well. Anyway, that was scary, and it shows how kind of tenuous Android is because it's, at any moment, the copyright holder or anybody uh, who decides to, I mean, realistically, it would be the copyright holder, can release that software only in binary form. So users won't be able to get access to the source code. Um, the official market for Android also contains non-free software, and it doesn't even flag what software is free and what software isn't free. And that's a problem, um, like Ruben mentioned with Triscoll this morning, it's important in the free software movement that we not only provide free software initially, but that we also create a world where people can live comfortably only in free software. If a user makes a decision one time that they only want to run free software, then a free software operating system should only present them with free software. They've already made that decision. They don't want non-free software. So, you know, stop pushing it in the markets and, uh, and that sort of thing. Um, of course, Android, you can install third-party software. So you do not have to only install things from the official Google Marketplace. And that's uh, definitely a, a big criteria in its favor. The patents issue, I, I mean, this will be a whole presentation on its own, but as was said, um, Microsoft has been collecting patent revenues on Android devices. And unfortunately, companies have been capitulating to that to a large degree. And this is definitely a problem for the future of free software on, on mobile devices. We are going to have to get rid of software patents if we're going to actually succeed in the mobile area. Otherwise, look, they made a great free software operating system in Android. And what happens, Microsoft makes licensing fees off of each Android device sold um, by most companies selling Android devices. It's not the only issue. I mean, there's so many codecs in there for things that, you know, whether or not Microsoft has a patent on those, other people have this Yeah, too. yeah, and Microsoft, well, I mean, any, I mean, patents are a problem for the GNU Linux desktop in general. Uh, every program has lots and lots of patents that read on it. The codecs that we use for our media um, have patents on them, so, but mobile devices, for some reason, is where these companies have decided to really go to war with each other and free software is suffering um, in the crossfire. So it's an area where we especially have to pay attention, but the, the media codecs are really relevant for mobile devices as well because um, your typical device has hardware acceleration built in for MPEG-4, which is a patented uh, codec. 
and does not have hardware acceleration for WebM, for example, which is a codec released by Google with a patent license that allows it to be used in free software. So uh, Google has said in the past that hardware-accelerated WebM phones are coming. You know, we haven't seen those yet. And now we have Mozilla, unfortunately, making the announcement that uh, Firefox Mobile will work with uh, MPEG-4 if it exists on the device. That's a, you know, a weakening of their stance, which previously said that Firefox would not support um, patented formats. So you know, this is a, definitely one of the main issues that, that we're going to have to face up to. Okay, so how do we change this direction? Uh, the first thing that we need to do is make sure that we can install free software on our devices. So if you haven't signed the FSF statement against the restricted boot um, that Microsoft is pushing, please do that. Uh, that's just the first step in, in organizing this campaign. And, and then, you know, we'll be able to contact you and follow up with you about future actions that will take place in this area. And obviously, it's good to have a lot of signatures on that statement to help show companies that people don't want restrictions on their computers like that. It's not just Microsoft, you know, we also are trying to communicate with the OEMs and the hardware manufacturers uh, to let them know that, because it's their choice whether to go into the Windows 8 certification program or not. So if we can convince them um, not to do that or to, to push back against Microsoft uh, so that users can not just navigate through some uh, BIOS menu to eventually arrive at the option to turn off the secure boot, but to make it actually easy for somebody to install a free software operating system over top of Windows. Jailbreaking is, is the main thing that people do right now in order to get free software on, on their restricted devices. Um, generally, this is done by manipulating some bug in the operating system in order to get them root access on the phone so they can install software that they want to install. In the U.S., under current rules, because of exemptions that have been issued to the DMCA, this seems to be legal, actually, uh, as of a, a few years ago. A couple things about that, though. One is those exemptions are being reviewed right now and could be taken away. Apple, of course, is pushing for them to be taken away. Uh, in particular, they want to make sure that these exemptions do not apply to the iPad because when these exemptions were issued originally, tablets weren't a big thing yet, so they are very specifically written for cell phones. So it's unclear under the current exceptions whether you're able to jailbreak your tablet. The other ridiculous thing is it is unclear whether you are able to help somebody else jailbreak theirs. So two different things are, are banned under the DMCA. One is circumventing the restrictions that are placed by a, you know, a copyright holder on a device. The second thing is distributing the tools that are necessary to do that. The exemptions very clearly say that you are allowed to do the first thing. They don't say that you are allowed to share the tools with other people. So despite those exemptions, we've still continued to live in a, a gray area here. Uh, I don't like the word jailbreaking very much. <clears throat> Prisons actually kind of serve an important function in society, arguably. Um, so jailbreaking kind of gives some weird credibility in my mind, but whatever. Jailbreaking doesn't solve the, the fundamental problem. Um, I commend the people who are doing the jailbreaking and making those tools because they're doing good work when they're doing it with free software. They're enabling users to have control over their devices, and I think that's an important thing to do. But we need a more permanent solution. Uh, jailbreaking, people doing it are always on a treadmill where they have to keep up with new updates. People, uh, Apple pushes out updates over the air to their devices that sometimes break jailbroken phones, or they set up situations where you really have to unjailbreak your phone in order to get some new feature, and then the new jailbreaking tools aren't out yet. So it's really a, not a good situation for users to be in. Also, they probably do this deliberately, um, but uh, that's just my speculation. I, I don't have evidence about that. And this doesn't help non-technical users. Uh, your average person that buys a phone, the last thing they want to do is take it home and void the warranty and possibly make it not work anymore. So. Understandably, people aren't very willing to take those risks, especially when it means they have to navigate to some website that has a shady feel about it because it's maybe not entirely legal and download something. And, and that creates opportunities for people to actually take advantage of non-technical users in, in malicious ways. So it's not a permanent solution, uh, and especially not if the exemptions that I talked about get taken away. So we have a five-step plan on how we can change this situation. One tell people about the ethical issues with proprietary mobile devices uh, and support political actions to improve the situation. <coughs> this is pretty straightforward, but it's something that we just need to talk with each other about, we need to blog about. Um, you'll notice when the New York Times writes a new review of the latest iPad, the restrictions are hardly ever even mentioned. You know, it's just not something that's even talked about. And, and writing, I, I've actually done this with David Pogue at the New York Times. I've written to him a couple times saying, can you at least mention that DRM exists on the device when you're writing a review of it? And he did actually start doing that. 
Um, so writing to reviewers in particular, telling your friends and, and family about it. I mean, I just had a conversation with my girlfriend's dad uh, recently about it, and it's obviously it's a little bit uncomfortable sometimes to tell somebody who just bought uh, something that maybe you know there's problems with it. But if you're nice about it, people are open-minded and, and they'll listen, and maybe they won't throw that phone in the garbage. But the next time they buy a phone, uh, they'll know a little bit more about it. And you know, I often say at the FSF that our goal is not obviously we want everybody to be running a free operating system, but our short-term goal is actually more about getting people advocating for free software and advocating the ideas of free software and understanding those ideas. That's more important than getting them to actually change the operating system on their computer right now. You know, because there's a lot of obstacles to people doing that. It's hard. They have to have certain software at work. They have to have certain software at school. They need to be able to exchange photos with their relatives. You know, whatever it is, people are in a variety of different situations that may impede um, their ability to take immediate action on that, but they can immediately start advocating and helping us, and that will enable us to achieve larger change that will then make it easier for them to switch. So anybody, whether you're using Windows or using GNU Linux, can advocate for free software, and that's why it's the first step up here before anything else. Second step is to stop rewarding companies for taking away your freedom. Um, so yes, you know, don't buy the iPhone, you know, don't buy the Kindle, uh, don't buy those devices that are produced by companies that are actively seeking to restrict the things that you can do. Um, that's, you know, a second step after telling other people about it. It's a very important thing to do. And I know that you can jailbreak some of these devices, but keep in mind that even if you're jailbreaking it, you did pay for a DRM license when you bought the device. You did fund the company. And that company, Amazon, is not looking at that saying, oh, well, we sold this many Kindles, but uh, um, we know that uh, these 10 people bought them so that they could put GNU Linux on it. Right? That's not what they're doing. They are selling these devices. If, if their sales figures are good, they're going to assume it's because their pro-DRM marketing uh, approach is working. So it's not sending a good signal. Uh, step three, then, after you don't buy that device, is to buy the freest device that you can. And also to consider, I mean, I'm not going to preach about like you know commercialism and, and stuff like that, but, but think about what you actually need to get your work done and need to, to live your life. You know, our president, Richard Stallman, still doesn't carry a cell phone, uh, even though it would be quite nice if he would sometimes because he's traveling all over the world and we can't always get a hold of him easily. Um, but we work around it. You know, we keep track of his host's phone numbers and we find ways to stay in touch with him. He doesn't carry one, not only because of uh, free software issues, but because of other concerns he has, like the very nature of cell phones being trackable um, because of triangulation off the towers and, and that sort of thing. But uh, if you do, and do you really need a tablet? You know, I, I know that they, they can be nice for some things, but can you get by without it until a better option is available? Just keep those questions in mind. If you do need to buy a device, then get the freest one that you can. Uh, do some research, and we're, we're trying to help people do that. There's also a, a new campaign called freeyourandroid.org um, that our sister organization, FSF Europe, started that I've been working with them on as well to help provide information about this to people. After you have that freest device, then install a free operating system on it uh, because it won't come with one. Um, when you buy, whatever you buy is not going to have a, a free operating system on it. They're not sold that way, um, unfortunately, at the moment. So at the moment, for an Android device, that's Replicant, um, which I'll talk more about in a minute. And uh, no matter what firmware you're using on your Android device, you can use the F-Droid Marketplace, which only includes free software applications. It's a replacement for the Google Marketplace that uh, doesn't include any proprietary software. So anything that you install, you know is free and has been vetted to be free. Step five, then, uh, is to help improve those operating systems once you've started using it, um, and or make a new operating system, or support the people who do. If you're not a programmer, uh, you can help by finding new applications to be included in the F-Droid store. It's a manual process. Applications are reviewed to make sure they're free, and then they're submitted to the marketplace. That requires help. Uh, you can give contributions in financial terms to uh, people that are working on, uh, on Replicant and uh, other mobile free software devices. Bad news about buying a, a device. All phones use proprietary firmware for GSM. There's no way around this right now. There is a project that's going to reverse engineer the GSM stack and implement it in free software, uh, but it's not done yet. However, despite that, um, the architecture of the firmware, which differs from device to device, I mean, the architecture of the device and its relation to the firmware is relevant. Um, some phones, this is a, a, a Nexus S, uh, has proprietary firmware to run the GSM. However, the proprietary firmware 
I've been told, cannot access the microphone, um, cannot access the GPS, and cannot access the application space. Other phones, like the HTC uh, Dream or the G1, has proprietary firmware which can access all of those things, which means that even if you're running free software on everything you installed on the device, there is a massive backdoor available for anybody to turn on your, for the carrier, cooperating with somebody to access your microphone, access your GPS, um, and access the space that all of your free applications are running in. So it's still better, but you are not really getting the full freedom um, that, that you're trying to get. So pay attention to that. Uh, the Replicant website has information about that. It's replicant.us. Also, all Android phones, and I'm pretty sure tablets, but not positive, require proprietary firmware for Wi-Fi to work. Uh, the new version of the OpenMoco FreeRunner also does, unfortunately. The original free, well, the previous version did not. So if you can OpenMoco FreeRunner, OpenMoco FreeRunner is still, as far as I know, the, the freest device you can buy. Uh, but it has, uh, has some practical issues with making uh, phone calls and, and some other things that uh, make it unpleasant for people who aren't enjoying the, the hacking experience to use. I mean, don't get me wrong, I used one as my main phone for a good year. So it's still usable, but it's not the way of the future exactly. Uh, Replicant, I've already run down most of these things. Nexus One is the other model currently supported. Replicant takes Android and removes all of the proprietary software. So it removes the hardware blobs um, for the drivers. It does not install any of the proprietary Google applications. It installs uh, F-Droid by default as its marketplace. And so it sets you up really nicely. And um, I just got this Nexus S using it, which is a, a relatively recent model phone. And uh, it's working very well so far. So I highly recommend that as an option. Um, I just got an email before this presentation, actually, that says that they're working on Samsung Galaxy S support and uh, GTA 04, which is the new OpenMoco. They're also working on a port for that. If you can donate some money to buy test devices, then that can really help their development along. It's, it's just a handful of people doing this. And so just getting a device in their hands is a big part of the battle. You know, these devices are expensive. They're $300, $400 if you're buying them without a contract. And uh, also a lot of these developers are in Europe, so they're not able to um, necessarily, or they have to pay even more money sometimes to get the devices. So if you uh, are able to support, provide some support for that, um, do talk to me or email me, and we can work that out. That's a good way for, for helping pave the way to a better feature that doesn't require knowing how to write your own free software GSM stack. Also, uh, GNU has uh, some mobile plans in the works. Um, I personally and a lot of other people would prefer to have a GNU Linux-based mobile system as opposed to the Android-based system. Um, nice thing about free software is we can have a lot of different things to meet different, different people's different preferences, you know, different desktops, KDE, GNOME. Uh, as long as they're all free, then that stuff is going to support a variety of options. So we want um, a GNU Linux-based system. And one of the reasons we want it is because we want a copyleft strong system because we want to make sure we have a mobile system that cannot be randomly uh, reverted to proprietary software for a few months at a time. You know, we want uh, copyleft for the same reasons that we wrote the GPL in the first place. So if you're interested in this, um, please do talk to me. And my email address is there. You can just drop me a line or talk to me while I'm here. And lastly, I hope that you'll support the FSF in general. Uh, we, our funding comes from thousands of individu individual members. Um, that's the most important source of our funding. You can make a donation uh, or join as a member. We set up a table outside, or you can join online. Um, I hope if you do write software, you'll use GPLv3 for your mobile applications. GPLv3 protects against TVOization, which means that uh, companies like Apple aren't allowed to take your software and distribute it with DRM on it, um, which is what they would very much like to do when your software is good. So GPLv3 is a shield that protects against that kind of manipulation. Um, you can stay informed about what the FSF is doing and, and what we're working on in this area by subscribing for our newsletter. It just goes out once a month. And please do sign this uh, statement against restricted boot. Um, it's uh, one of the most important things that we're working on right now. And to indicate your support and use of GNU Linux, we have these lovely stickers, uh, which we are selling outside of the table. We have to sell them because they are heavy-duty, high-quality. They are meant to replace those uh, Windows uh, stickers that you have. They're metal. So these won't rub off, unlike the ones that we used to sell. Just put one on there, it should be forever. I'm hoping we're gonna get some replicant stickers that'll cover up these little uh, Google and Samsung logos on the back of the phone as well. Um, just little things that we can do to show support for free software to other people. So I've got a, a few minutes here to take some questions. Happy to do so. Yeah. Um, 
I have a laptop and my wireless card isn't working. I'm going to be replacing it. If I wanted to donate my old card, which currently is unusable for me, with a developer that is interested in creating a stack, where would I go? Or who, uh, what would be the best way to put it out? Right. So the question is, uh, is there a useful place to donate unsupported hardware uh, so that support for it can be worked on? Um, and I, guess, I think the answer to that is project dependent. Um, for the wireless card, for example, for most proprietary chipsets require proprietary drivers, there are projects going on where people are trying to reverse engineer those. Um, so it's about, I think, finding that project for that chipset. Uh, the, the Linux dash wireless, if you search for Linux dash wireless, that's kind of the name for the, the wireless section of the kernel, um, which is where those drivers live. And you can, you know, that'll probably dig up some useful contact points and lists of, of projects that are working on supporting currently unsupported devices. Yep. As far as I know, Mac runs up the free BSD file system, right? Am I wrong in that? Uh, it is, has a lot of that is at its core, yeah. Okay. I don't know. I mean, Emacs comes by default on, on OS X as well. Can they use a FreeBSD license and then throw their, their OS on top of it and then do so much restricting? Yeah, I mean, they, I, I don't, I'm not up to date on how much of their own special sauce they roll in to the, to the BSD license stuff. Um, but yes, that's how they started. Uh, that's certainly a fair statement. And um, you just go to the About section on an iPhone or any iOS device and you'll see loads of free software licenses. Lots of, you know, the GPL, the LGPL. Um, and then you can go to uh, apple.com and they have a, an area where they distribute the source code that they're required to distribute. Well, what I'm saying is not that BSD people. Oh, well, I mean, I, I'm not BSD person myself, but I, you know, I think that community is kind of, I know there's people who think that that is an important aspect of free software that companies should be able to do that. And there are people who uh, vehemently oppose that, but just don't think licensing is the way to, to correct it. Um, so. I don't know, for us it's a difficult position with CopyLeft because I wanted to stand up here and tell people that all of these exciting new products that have come out in the last 10 years have, are, came out largely because of free software. You know, would the iPad have happened without free software? Would the Kindle have happened without free software? Would it have taken longer? You know, they're using free software to drive their core components. You know, the Kindle has also, you know, the sound system on it. Um, would they have had to reconstruct all of that stuff themselves? You know, but obviously we don't want to encourage people to buy those things. It's just the infuriating part for us is that the companies, uh, and I call it kicking away the ladder, basically, they, they built their um, business on the back of free software, and then they want to kick away the ladder so that nobody else can climb up and catch them. So it's a problem for us, for sure. When you develop a free operating system for a mobile device, aren't you still kind of tied into the carriers because that's how you get into the network? Yeah. Yeah. So the question is, even if you have a free software mobile device, aren't you still going to be tied to the carrier in some way? And the answer to that is, uh, they are separate problems. Um, you know, you can have you you have a, especially when you have one large chunk of proprietary firmware still living on the device that could itself be locked to the carrier, even if you have completely free software applications running on it. Um, but you know, these companies. The devices, the lock, the, the handcuff that they put on the device really covers the whole device. Um, so generally, if you jailbreak it, you are able to move it to a different carrier as a side effect of that. Um, and likewise, as a side effect of wanting to move to a different carrier, oftentimes you're able to install um, your own applications. But there are some examples of why a free software system makes that situation much better. Uh, for example, uh, the iPhone, I don't know if this is still the case, but when it came out, it would not boot without a SIM card, without a SIM card in it or without a uh, network, without being activated. Um, you couldn't do anything else with the phone. And that's ridiculous because the phone could be a music player, you know, uh, it could be a remote control for your stereo or your television set. It could be a, just a, you could keep your grocery list on it. I mean, there's any number of, of uses that you could put that piece of hardware to, but because it was a proprietary system um, marketed exclusively for use as a phone, they wouldn't let you run it without phone access. Uh, um, maybe because they were simultaneously selling a device called the iPod Touch, which was the iPhone without a phone. They wanted you to buy that. So yeah, um, the carrier unlocking is kind of a separate problem. And it's not necessarily a free software problem, ethically speaking. You know, that's kind of a, 
a problem about monopolies and, and the industry structure, assuming that they don't use proprietary software to force you into that. But they could, for example, have a piece of hardware which only operated on their network and not anybody else's network. That wouldn't strictly be a free software problem. It would certainly be you know, dumb and, and worth avoiding, but not exactly the same thing. Well, you, you do to an extent, yeah. You, you have devices, so you know, this thing runs on, a, you can use this on T-Mobile or AT&T, a, a GSM network. Uh, but yeah, I can't use this on Verizon. I would have to buy a different phone. But part of that is also the financing of the phone. When Apple first came out, the only person, the only carrier you could buy it from was AT&T. We bought it from them, it was part of the fraction of the price. And so what you signed away was your ability to use that on another carrier's program or another carrier's SIM in exchange for the fact you got it at a much lower price. Yeah. You bought an Nexus One from Google, you bought it at list price, and it came unlocked and unsigned. So you can put any operating system you wanted to on it, provided you had all the bits for that. Yes. Yep, and that's, uh, yeah, when we were promoting Yelp and Moco, people, people were like, that, that's $450. <laughs> And uh, yeah, that's a that's a problem, and um, it is it's about the deals that companies cut with carriers, and for that uh, we need a company that is going to pursue different deals. You know, there's really no way that I can see around that particular problem. Um, it is easy. You separate financing the phone from the carrier that's there. So you, you sell the phone through a financing program yeah. which allows you to pay off the, the phone over time, but lets you choose any carrier. Yeah. That's what we need to do. Mm -hmm. We can, uh, I, I know that um, the current open Mo the current version of the OpenMoco, I believe, got institutional funding to help its development, um, which, you know, the cost is still high, but it helped keep the cost down lower than, than it would have been. Uh, we can pursue other options like um, although it's not been used that much for free software projects, things, and, and maybe it's problematic in some ways, but the idea of Kickstarter or crowdfunding uh, to, to possibly fund some of these devices, um, we, can, you know, we can be creative, uh, like you say, and find ways to, to fund these devices, or a company can be creative in the way that they sell the device to consumers and allow them to finance it that don't require cutting the deals with the carriers. Um, I, you know, I hope those things will happen, and, and I hope we have the free software system ready when they do happen. A lot of times you buy a refrigerator from a large store, a big ticket item, you get the financing to the store as opposed to the financing through the person who's going to repair it for you or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right. There's there's definitely different ideas out there. We, we need somebody to actually do them. Um, and you know, the nice thing about Android is it has created a sep it has separated the operating system away from the hardware to an extent. So there is, in theory, a possibility for a company to just take Android and get into the hardware business and, and, and follow a different model like what you're talking about and get that out there. Or for a store to, you know, a retailer to work in combination with somebody to do that as well. Yes? Um, to answer this question, there is a new project that people related to the KD project kicked off. Uh, the Sparkles, was that what's called? Yeah, I think it got renamed to the Baldi. Uh, it's a, they're taking a stock uh, tablet that is able to be installed whatever you want on the computer. And uh, while they have some uh, non-free software blocks in order to get to work, the goal is to uh, make it so that you can buy it and use the funds to reinvest and get more cloud to the point that you could have a full free software stack. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I did notice the news about that and we'll be keeping an eye on it. So anybody couldn't hear it's a, a, a tablet that's being developed, um, designed to run KDE, but I assume it will run. Uh, yeah, you can, you can put whatever whatever you want on it in theory. Um, and it sounds like they actually have a plan to use some of the money to help fund development to eliminate the uh, proprietary parts that they did feel they had to use. You know, I, I, it's always a little bit discouraging to see. Um, we have had a device with a, a free wireless chipset, the OpenMoco FreeRunner. Um, so I really wish that somebody would make a new, um, up-to-date in other ways device, possibly just reusing that uh, chipset and so that we could have the Wi-Fi on the new device as well, since that's one of the major sticking points. The other one is 3D acceleration. 
for graphics um, because on mobile devices that's uh, being done with proprietary software and uh, currently we don't we're not doing very well in that area either so yeah I mean a lot of this comes down to we know what we need we need somebody motivated enough as a company to produce these devices or we need these 3d 3d printers to you know hurry up and get there so that we can make our own you know one or the other but uh, the FSF for our part is going to keep advocating for the software component of things um, and then also we are running our uh, hardware certification program which we're still looking for our first candidate for certification and that's you know, I, I think the program, even though we don't have anybody listed there yet, serves an important purpose, which is to define these criteria. Um, and you know, we're not going to we're not going to insult people that that come close, but we're not going to certify them either because we're we're trying to set what the ultimate goal here is. We want a phone that, yes, it's it's great that we have a tablet that is almost all free software, and it's great that you know if I have a phone where the only thing that doesn't work on it is Wi-Fi, um, then that's also great because I I just won't use the Wi-Fi. I, I find in my life that I can get by with that. Um, so those, that type of steady progress is important, but we're going to keep the definition of the program, what constitutes an actual endorsed device, to be very um, firm and high so that it gives something defined that people can strive for. You know, making compromises when you don't have a goal in mind is, is a very ineffective way to achieve change. So I think people often want the FSF to compromise more. Um, what we want to do is set the ideal and safeguard that ideal and that way and promote that ideal. And that way when people make compromises, they know what they're compromising toward, you know, so that we don't get confused and end up thinking that what we've achieved is already good enough and we should just stop the progress. I don't know if I'm, uh, is that good? Okay. okay. Well, thank you all for having me. Um, and I'll be here if you want to talk. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All BinRef projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Share Alike, 3.0 license.